Welcome, comrades and friends, to Workers' World Party's bi-weekly live stream where hundreds of revolutionaries from across the world gather to strategize, to analyze, and to build a future socialist society, a workers' world. Tonight, we are going to deal with a very serious question, and I want to first begin by acknowledging that just this last week, the United States ended its more than 20-year occupation of Afghanistan. For many of us listening tonight and watching tonight, and for me myself, the U.S. occupation of Afghanistan has lasted almost our entire lives. And I want to reiterate and draw your attention to another date, which is September 2002. It was in September 2002 that the New York Times first published an article entitled U.S. Says Hussein Intensifies Quest for A-Bomb Parts. It was in September of 2002 that the New York Times and other corporate U.S. media intensified their quest to convince the U.S. public that Iraq was capable of using weapons of mass destruction and indeed had weapons of mass destruction that they were going to use um, for some ill purposes. The author of that article, along with Judith Miller, was Michael Gordon. And the reason I start with Afghanistan and start with the false and bogus U.S. claims of weapons of mass destruction in Iraq is because Michael Gordon is also now taking to the pages of the New York Times to promote a theory that the novel coronavirus, COVID-19, originated in a lab in Wuhan, China. This, as we're going to be discussing today, this theory has no scientific basis. There's no scientific evidence to support the lab leak theory. And the vast, vast majority of scientists say it's not even possible that the novel coronavirus could have originated in this lab in Wuhan. And so I think that we need to remember, as many of us of a certain age remember George Bush bungling this line, fool me once, shame on you. We have seen now this other pro-war propagandist, Michael Gordon, trying to once again make a justification for war. The lab leak theory is just as racist as the things that Donald Trump said about the coronavirus vis-a-vis China. But in some ways, it's even more dangerous because this rhetoric is truly warmongering. And that's one of the things that we're going to be talking about today, that this lab leak theory is aimed as an attack on China, as well as a distraction from the disastrous, disastrous pandemic response policies of President Trump and now President Biden as well. And the unwillingness of the billionaires and the bankers and Biden to do anything that would hurt their bottom line. So tonight we're going to discuss why lab leak theory isn't true and why the U.S. wants to blame the pandemic on China. We want to arm you with the information you need to stop the spread of this pro-war propaganda virus. So with that being said, let me introduce our guests tonight. Sarah Flounders is a contributing editor to Workers' World Newspaper and is co-director of the International Action Center. Hin Lee is the coordinator of the National Immigrant Solidarity Network and director of the U.S.-China Solidarity Network. Hin has just returned from China and was in China in January of 2020 and saw the vastly, vastly different response to the pandemic. Um, he just returned from China this week. Thank you both for being here. Together, both Sarah and Siu Hin are the editors of Capitalism on a Ventilator, The Impact of COVID-19 in China and the U.S., which is a, a groundbreaking anthology. Uh, it's the collective, collective work of so many social justice activists and academics, including Vijay Prashad, Ajamu Baraka of Black Lions for Peace, Workers' World Managing Editor Monica Moorhead, Margaret Kimberly, and the late Kevin Zeese, The Gray Zone's Max Blumenthal, and world-renowned political philosopher and political prisoner, Mumia Abu-Jamal. They have also both co-authored a 33-page report that has just been published today in the name of the China-U.S. China, the China -US Solidarity Network entitled No to the U.S. Call for the Bogus Lab Leak Investigation Against China, and it urges international cooperation and solidarity to fight the COVID-19 pandemic. So let's start with the ongoing attempts, comrades, to block capitalism on a ventilator from being distributed. Sarah, do you want to start by talking about capitalism on a ventilator? 
just to say what we ran into, which is no surprise when you think about it, but it nevertheless took us by surprise, is that the billionaire class is determined in large and small ways to continue their rule and that cooperation with information, with ownership of resources, even in healthcare, PPE, vaccines, food, every single area, they're committed to private expropriation and profit. And it's not a surprise when you bump into it, and yet it is. We gathered 50 authors who all were looking from mainly the U.S., looking at the impact of COVID-19 in the U.S., where the figures were the highest in the world, and they still are, and China and other socialist countries, Cuba, Vietnam, who were able, by using scientific measures and containment and social cooperation, to at least control this new and unknown virus. This is before there was a vaccine, but what were the first measures that needed to be taken? So that was the basis of this book. It was published last uh, July. So this is before there was a vaccine out and about, but showing that really China was leading the world effort in how to contain this virus and the other socialist countries. And we bumped into this wall of censorship. We first listed it on Amazon. Almost every small publisher was shut down due to the pandemic. And this seemed to be an easy way to immediately list the book. It was listed, and we were excited about that. And as soon as we put out an announcement about the book, we received a message from Amazon, which came as a surprise, that this book did not fit their guidelines. We should change the title and the contents to conform to the U.S. view of covid Now, at that time, the U.S. view of COVID and Amazon was printing lots of it was just endless amounts of fake news and no science whatsoever and 10 different theories, but none of them with any real substance. You know, this was a a whole part of the Trump administration. So at any rate, here's Amazon publishing every crazy theory, and yet they wouldn't allow one book on cooperation to be listed on their site. Now, we published the book, had it privately printed, began its distribution. And so when Max Blumenthal tweeted about this censorship, and then this was picked up in China, it became news, it became a controversy. And Amazon was really hit hard by this announcement of censorship. They suddenly reversed, and they at least listed the book. Still not online, the Kindle version filling orders, all of that. That was one example to us. Now, maybe it took us by surprise the next step. There was interest in in a Chinese translation, interest in China in a translation of this book that a Chinese audience would want to see what progressive journalists, commentators in the U.S. were saying about COVID and about them and their efforts. So, when Suhin Lee from China put out a press release on Business Wire, which is owned by multi-billionaire Warren Buffett, it was just like with Jeff Bezos. It's not that he makes every decision, but Business Wire immediately censored this news story. Now, they put out thousands of press releases a day. It's just a commercial operation. And yet this one The fact that there was even going to be a Chinese translation of this book was censored. Su Hin Lee's account with Business Wire was canceled. So anyway, this this just goes to show what you're up against every step of the way in trying to put out alternative information. And it also shows there is a really focused, increasingly coordinated war drive against China. It's very dangerous, and it affects everything. And this is true from the aircraft carriers and missile batteries that ring China to the trade sanctions to the enormous amounts of propaganda, whether on Xinjiang or Hong Kong, every step of the way, or to the war in Afghanistan on China's border, which had a lot to do with positioning U.S. troops and bases 
on China's border. So we're in a very dangerous moment. The book is a modest contribution by activists here to say one part of what we need and how important cooperation can be in facing a new phenomenon. We're either going to compete with each other, have the highest death rate in the world, or we're going to cooperate with each other. And this becomes all the more important as there's new variants emerging and so on. Thanks, Sarah. And thanks for being with us today. Comrade Suhin, has your Business Wire account been reinstated yet or is it still suspended? It's completely canceled. I talked to them. If I can appeal, said that there's no way to appeal. This has been happened before. So what is Warren Buffett is doing, not just in his corporate world and his body, I think it's a business and money is the bottom line. And the corporate interest is the, what they are looking for. The business wire is not a free service, not like Facebook or Twitter. I give it to them and they just trade for me for free. It's expensive operations. It's a, a rich man's club, kind of like a propaganda machine that you can have a direct access at the, what they're promoting to the media, which is exactly what grassroots movement are really desperate that the uh, access to the mainstream media that can raise their voice. So once in a while on community campaign, we fundraise and we do a, a press release, but they generally speaking, what they want to promote is a capitalist agenda, not the people's agenda. That's so well put, comrade. It goes to show a lot that a company like Business Wire that is taking money in order, you have to be a subscriber, would rather not have that account and not that subscription just so that we don't have this information coming out. And this is Business Wire owned by billionaire Warren Buffett, who is purportedly one of the liberal billionaires. And that brings us to really the thing that we're going to be talking about today, which is lab leak theory, because this very dangerous theory is being promoted very, very vigorously by Joe Biden, who was supposed to be a you know, more progressive liberal alternative yeah. to the disastrous Donald Trump presidency. Uh, Hunter, could, you, could you tell us what lab leak theory is and why it's so bogus? Yeah. As you said on the introduction, I was in China on January 2000. And when there's a Wuhan, China, central Chinese city, there was some kind of a new outbreak that unknown sources of ammonia. And uh, so that's time no one knows exactly what is this. And uh, when that's become a, a formally called by World Health Organization as COVID-19 on February, no one officially before that can categorize what is this disease about. So it's common knowledge and scientific world that this only exists after January. 2020. That's a fact. However, the so-called lovely theory is from far-right anti-China neocon warmonger politicians from the Beltway, notably the Senator Cotton and the anti-China think tanks and also the far-right anti-China called Epic Times, the so-called Burungong, Burungdafa, from the day one, from early January 2020, they spread the rumor there's a lab leak. That's how they started. It's not coming from scientists. The lab leak conspiracy theory from the beginning till today, overwhelming majority, what people are talking about, they said their evidence, they said they want to push for investigations and all that kind of things, are not scientists. They're not bioscientists. They are politicians. That's the need to separate the fact from the myth, separate the right lies from the scientific proof. One thing, I am a medical researcher, public medical policy area. That's the reason I've been following the COVID stuff from the beginning and I'm reading lots of paper and documents. So one thing I need to, need to be said, when I said there's a bogus, is why? It's a simple speaking overwhelming majority of scientists are not buying it. 
And only people are abdicating right now is a very small fraction of the scientists are not leading figure biologists or pseudo scientists. That's the issue. Plus, the Michael Gordon kind of warmonger who is now working for Wall Street Journal has been repeatedly pushing all these so-called expose articles. So to make it simple, the lab lead theory is not coming from science world. It's coming from far-right, anti-China, war mongol, neocon world that they want to shift their brain, the failure of the U.S. response to the virus to China. So U.S. don't need to take any responsibility, especially right now, all this crazy, even stupid anti-vaccination movement, anti-mask movement. Even after two years, U.S. and some of the Western world cannot even decide if everyone needs to take masks. That's simple things. Cannot even have a conclusion. So what happened in Florida and Texas is a very, very good example. But there's a difference between Trump's right-wing Republicans, left-wing, bogus propaganda. But that's a little different than Biden's and liberal. People were thinking about when Biden uh, going to the White House, that maybe the, this uh, left-wing uh, conspiracy will go away. Instead, Biden is pushing again and include the liberal Democrats. Why? Because just like a tr- Trump, Biden's also fell the COVID response, and they need to find boogeyman to scapegoat the whole failure. That's what we are facing. Instead of it's supposed to be international cooperation, we work together to fight the COVID. U.S. is spending all the resources, all the time, even lots of money on pushing the so-called bogus China leak conspiracy. There's a couple other reasons. Besides the brain games, there's other fantasies. There's a, this is a war. This is a different type of war that's what the U.S. Uh, neocon is dreaming about. It's also involved in far-right neocon, so Atlantic Council to uh, Huston Institute, all these different kind of think tanks. But there's another fantasy. They want to use this as a tactics to not discredit China's successful vaccine diplomacy and international solidarity during the pandemic, which is U.S. has been selfishly didn't offer any vaccine to almost no to any country. And U.S. is also the now the become the worst source of spreading virus to the world because U.S. is not blocking the border. They're not controlling, not because U.S. is the largest amount of people who are infected and there they don't have any limitation going any country. So they spread the virus to other countries, just like what Europe, they don't have any limitation, anyone going any country. So they spread, UK spread to India, the U.S. is spread to other countries, Mexico, other countries, so on, so on, and so on. They want to ship this brain to China, also want to use the lab like conspiracy. To, to discredit China and also avoid international community, especially the World Health Organization, to investigate U.S. on his role on the, uh, the COVID and allege 200 biological and chemical weapon labs around the world, what they're doing. Thank you, Suhan. We have so many comments. It's a great comment section tonight. John Catalanato says, thanks, Suhan Lee, for exposing the pseudoscientists and discussing intelligent public health steps. Alice points out that you're right, it's it's not just the far right. Even John Stewart was on the Colbert show, you know, spreading this bogus theory. And Paul in the chat says there is a virologist at Columbia University who says there is zero evidence, there they have no belief in, in lab leak theory because there's no data to support it. Sarah, did you want to jump in on, on this question too about the fraudulence of lab leak theory itself? It's a very important part of hybrid war. The U.S. is engaged in a war with China, and they make no bones about it. How to stop China's development, how to undermine them, 
how to break confidence in China's ability to do anything and discredit it everywhere. So the lab leak theory is just one part of that, but a very important part, because here was an effort to say scientists around the world, let's look at blood samples from months ago. Let's look at wastewater samples from many months before China found COVID in Wuhan. Now, actually, scientists in Italy and in Spain and in France did this and found that COVID was circulating at a low level. But for many months before, it was identified in China. That's important information. It means it did not just come from China. Now, China has asked, and a number of scientists have asked, the U.S., who keeps all of these samples, to test samples before December 2019, particularly because there were a number of unusual and very severe pneumonias in the U.S. in the fall, early fall of that year. Um, And also because the uh, virus lab at Fort Detrick was actually shut down in July of 2019 because of problems of contamination and leaks. So there's been an effort to say, let's look at some of this. That's not blaming the U.S. It's saying many countries need to examine, first of all, where the virus was circulating at a low level. We know this is even true for what was called the Spanish flu 100 years ago. It didn't begin in Spain. It actually seems it began in Kansas in the U.S., It took many years to find that out. But Spain was the first place that announced it. So it was called the Spanish flu and so on. You can't name a flu for a country. So the idea of having a broader inquiry into both how COVID emerged, that it was circulating in at least several countries many months before it was identified in Wuhan, This is part of an inquiry, and it's also important to think how countries can cooperate, how they can look constantly for new viruses, new health problems that are emerging, and cooperate with each other immediately by sharing the information, not suppressing it and saying it doesn't exist, which is what the U.S. response was to COVID, to first say, oh, this is going to bring China down, and it won't happen here and refusing to do testing and and refusing to provide PPE to the population here and so on. So how do we begin to cooperate with what will be other problems? This is not the first virus, as we know from Ebola. It's not the first kind of health crisis, as we know from AIDS, which took such a toll. So it's important for countries to exchange information into this effort Biden threw a grenade. He said, no, 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 this inquiry is going to go to China, to Wuhan, to a lab there. We're not going to look at anything from the U.S. or any other country, nor are we going to go in the direction of cooperation on what we do in the future. Now, that's dangerous, and it's part of this war effort, and it really puts us all at risk. I mean, more than 600,000 deaths in the U.S., the highest rate of deaths, highest number of deaths in the world right here. And, you know, we got to just look at what this means and what not cooperating means for the world. And it means a lot of other dangerous things, too, when you look at U.S. policy to spend trillions for war And yet we don't have a public health system here that even coordinates any of this information. There is no public health infrastructure in the United States still today. And yet other countries do have it. And China certainly has it at a very advanced level. Such a good point, comrade. It also brings up how there's so much misinformation. I mean, we have folks in the chat right now we're agreeing and pointing out that there are other places where this virus could have originated. But to Sarah's point, the fact that we are pointing out that the situation in Fort Detrick, where the virus could have originated, or the sewage analysis in France and Spain and Italy, 
like Sarah said, this is not to blame any individual country, nor should China be blamed for originating this virus when they were the first ones to call international attention to the threat of this pandemic. And so uh, that really does bring us to our next question, which is why China? Why blame China? Why is the U.S. threatened by China? And instead of working in the spirit of global cooperation, why are they using this opportunity to attack China? And I wonder, Hin, if you want to start with this one. Yeah, I want to say one thing is that for last couple weeks, 25 million Chinese nest citizens signed a petition to call for signs, not the politics on the origin tracing and plus the demand, uh, the investigation of what they trick, plus 60 countries on the World Health Organization sent a petition calling for the same demand that science, not politics, to be the guiding principle for the origin tracing. Plus, in a several dozen renowned uh, world-famous bioscientists also wrote several open letters and academic paper to support the virus is highly unlikely coming from the lab. It's coming from the nature. However, all this are not published in the Western mainstream media. There's also people who have been supporting voice, include our book, has been heavily censored. The voice has been heavily, heavily suppressed in the Western world. This is a hybrid war, really strange racist anxiety. From the left to right, I said that from liberal to far right, many right-wing American politicians, including the anti-Chinese warmongers, thought that COVID will be destroy China and just are going to be a corrupt government corrupt, just like a moment of the Chernobyl moment for China. But it didn't happen. Instead, it's a Chernobyl moment for the U.S., where the major outbreak in the U.S. and U.S. didn't respond, and then the whole things become chaos, and millions of people got infected. Not even uh, pushing for testing, not even pushing for community preventions. That become worse. And then uh, what happened in New York? Everyone know that thousands of seniors didn't die from the senior center from the mismanagement from the former governor Kumo during that time. All this thing happened again and again and again. The anxiety is that if China win this time, fight against COVID, and then got the credit for the international vaccine and uh, solidarity humanitarian, U.S. will fall. That's uh, one of the things besides that they want to control the World Health Organization using this origin tracing and then discredit China and the hope of using this as another, the weapons of mass destruction. The fantasy is if they can prove this is indeed coming from China, then they can launch an international condemnation or even sanctions against China, which is not going to happen. China is not Iraq. No, 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 not besides that, that is a focus. And also China is a powerful country. It's not like a U.S. can jerk around like what happened in Iraq. So that's a different, but that's a fantasy. They still have the fantasy and anxiety coming back and forth until even today. That's the reason so many people from left to right, from Biden to uh, Trump, invest on this just like a desperate gambler, one last shot. Otherwise, we are bust. That's how dangerous is political virus in the U.S. And the U.S. does seem so desperate. And that, that is such, they're like a desperate gambler. Yeah, Sarah, go ahead. Yeah, I, I want to say, and we should be very honest about this. China is doing something that is deeply threatening to the United States. Most threatening thing, consider on COVID. There was an announcement last week. China organized an international forum on COVID vaccine cooperation. Everyone was invited. It was, it was by video conference. And at 
that conference, they announced that they were distributing. They've already given out, delivered, and delivered it to people, not just on an airport pallet, 750 million vaccines, 750 million vaccines. But at this conference, they announced that their goal within the next four months was 2 billion vaccines to be distributed to the world. Now, the U.S. got all angry because they said, well, China's trying to upstage us because the U.S. had just announced that they were going to give 100 million. That's 5% of 200, you know, just to do the math here. It sounds like a big number, lots of zeros, but it's only 5% of what China is distributing. And China had already distributed 750 million. So the U.S. said it was the biggest, their 100 million was the biggest in the world. Absolutely not true. Not even true in terms of the numbers. But what China did was more dangerous to the U.S. in another way. They said, we're not just distributing the vaccines. We're distributing the technology, how to make it, the raw materials, the skills. In other words, those precious patents that, that is all about protecting the ownership because Lots of people have died from this, but the pharmaceutical industries have made profits like never before. So this is threatening to them, deeply, deeply threatening to them. It is an act of war. They see it on China's part. China said, rather than just distributing fish to people, we got to teach people to fish. Uh, That's a very basic concept. We got to share the technology the skill, the resources, and that's what we're doing. And they're handing it out. So to anyone who's into protecting patents, such as Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, Jeff Bezos, and all of them, all of them as a class, they see this as a threat to their very existence. It's just happening with medicine now. It's also true with seed, which Monsanto holds. And and China has developed very interesting uh, and and is distributing, you know, it's without patent. So we we should just know what public ownership is versus private expropriation. It's life and death for large parts of the world. And so this handing it out of not only the doses of vaccines already made and ready, but the technology of how to make vaccines and how to train skilled people. This is what China is doing. It's a real contribution to humanity, but it is deeply threatening to capitalist ownership. And this is a capitalist government. What do they exist to do? They exist to protect the rights of corporations to maximize profit. They don't exist for our benefit. They exist for corporate power maximizing profit. So anyway, this was the act that China did just last week. They see it as very dangerous here in the U.S., and it had very little publicity uh, except to say, oh, well, maybe they're trying to upstage us. If it were that simple, then they should respond by saying, yeah, here's the patents to the whole world, if, if that's all that was involved, but it's not. I remember seeing one of the most preposterous phrases I've ever seen in in corporate media, which was condemning the the hostile vaccine diplomacy of China, really distributing vaccines and vaccine technology. The U.S. ruling class sees that as threatening, hostile. And like, like Sarah said, this is a threat to the U.S. ruling class, to the bankers and the billionaires. What's a threat to them is not a threat to us. And really what, what's good for the world is cooperation, the sharing of this technology. Over 600,000 people have died of COVID in the United States. To make a claim that this was somehow leaked from a lab in China is a very, very dangerous and bold accusation. The fact of the matter is that many people are dead because of the failure of the United States to provide even a modicum of, of public health infrastructure. We have a lot of really good questions coming in from the chat that I want to make sure we address as many of them as we can before the end. But one that I think maybe we should talk about now is a question, very honestly, I think it's a question in good faith about 
China's public health system? Do they have one? And I know, Suhin, you were you were in China right at the beginning of the pandemic. Could you talk briefly about what China did to, to help curb the spread of the virus before we move on? Yes, China do have a national healthcare system and somehow a little bit similar to your concept there about medical security. However, they're more efficient and better and cost cheaper. It's not controlled by corporate medical company. They have a private hospital, but majority are public hospitals. And from the beginning of the outbreak in Wuhan on January 2020 until today, government has been highly conscious about to stop the spread from the beginning. I in and out of China uh, for the medical research and all this thing. I just came back to U.S. Sunday. So I can see that it's a completely different. When even an outbreak happened, just one or two people, they can quickly, immediately locate, identify, and contain, and they organize a mass testing for the suspect community, maybe 100,000 people, 200,000 people, or 10 million people required to finish the entire testing for that area within three days, regardless of how many people. So the latest one that was slightly bigger because the Delta variant finally get into China. And there's now that the government order one city found a uh, four or five cases immediately required everyone need to be tested. So like six, seven million people need within three days. And also everything are paid by the government. Anyone has asymptomatic, suspect that close proximity will be sent to quarantine, paid by the government. And so no one will turn away because lack of fun. That's the reason they can stop from the beginning. That's what's the difference between US and China. Because when I come back, no one care about contact tracing and no one, uh, I don't even know if I know my neighbor, a couple of them had got the COVID, but no one seems to have anything, uh, uh, preventive measures. And now there's uh, all this uh, restriction is lifted and it's crazy. Now it's the worst since last early this year and there's no restrictions and it will be getting worse and worse and worse. And uh, Biden is worse than Trump and does not have any national policy while they're spending so much money on on weapons and stimulus, but I don't see any money on actual community prevention and testing. Like we've seen in, uh, you know, just last month, the national eviction moratorium expired in the U.S. At the end of this month, at the beginning of September, the federal pandemic unemployment compensation will expire. They're forcing people back to work in the midst of the skyrocketing pandemic. And to hear what you just said about the initial pandemic response and continuing, it seems as if it's the difference between a country that's run by billionaires and a country that is run by the people. I want to get into our next question, but first, uh, I just want to encourage folks to check out Workers World newspaper. This is a Workers World live stream that we're hosting tonight. Workers World newspaper has been in continuous circulation since 1959. We're a daily news service at workers.org, and you can subscribe to get uh, new revolutionary articles from a socialist perspective uh, in your email inbox every day by going to workers.org. And we have a color print edition every month that can be delivered to your door. So I recommend that everyone uh, check that out. We exchange articles with our allies in the movement like Sue Hin independent people's media and socialist publications around the world. Like the comrade said, it's very difficult for us in this country to get this kind of information out to our class. So we really are grateful for everyone for joining us today and, and hope that you'll check out more at workers.org. Hin, could you talk a little bit about the role of multinational pharmaceutical corporations in all this and, and why it is that we're seeing this lab leak theory promoted from that perspective? Yes, people probably uh, didn't realize the COVID vaccine has become the most lucrative business on our pharmaceutical industry this year. They're now making so much money than any other medicines. 
when I said I don't want to say they are in, directly involved in pushing all these uh, conspiracy per se, but they want to control the market is for sure. That is the bottom line. One thing is when I was in China, I took my uh, vaccine in China from Sinovac. And uh, right now, Chinese vaccines, Sinovac, as well as the uh, Russian vaccine, the Sputnik V, they are not recognized by Western countries and U.S. That's important because very soon the so-called vaccine passport. And uh, with, with international tourists, they're going to uh, like a U.S. or EU, European Union country or U.K., you need to have vaccine passport. That means you need to have a vaccine taken. If they do not recognize, you do not approve your vaccine, Chinese vaccine, Russian vaccine, etc. they force you to take the Western vaccines, like from Pfizer to Moderna to AstraZeneca. And so that is how they control. Just like you're going to an event like only Coca-Cola exists, you cannot buy Pepsi, that kind of things. That's how they're pushing. And that is uh, how they also become an issue that very difficult for what U.S. to do an international vaccine solidarity because it's their bottom line. If they prove that other countries, like uh, from China to uh, even the genetic vaccine from India, can do the same trick, why buy the more expensive U.S. and the Western vaccines? That's a whole deal. They want to build a broad firewall in front of us and then we can do so. So right now, technically, I finished my vaccine in China, but in U.S., it's not recognizable, which is mean I didn't take the vaccine. And you do it again. That's what that means. Sarah, you mentioned Bill Gates and Warren Buffett earlier. And I wonder if you could talk about the role not only of multinational corporations, but the World Health Organization and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. How do the billionaires control the world in their own interests? One very important thing is establishing foundations, which give out gumdrops in order to build certain favorable climate for themselves, give out certain things to cut off anger, and yet never the tools for control. And people having control of that, they label as authoritarian. Now, Bill Gates, whose multi-multi-billion dollar fortune is built on Microsoft, on control of patents, of IP. It was very threatening during the AIDS scourge that really laid waste to populations, particularly in Africa. There was a call to make vaccines easily accessible through India, through other countries that could manufacture the medicines easily accessible that could really combat the AIDS virus. And Bill Gates fought that. He did say that his foundation, they would buy it at full price and then distribute it to many countries. But that really meant was that the World Health Organization was no longer being used to develop health infrastructure rather just to give out specific vaccines under specific conditions in this country and that country. So polio, malaria, now COVID, AIDS medications, but not health infrastructure. That's important. And Bill Gates did this by becoming the biggest funder to the World Health Organization. He has a lot, therefore, to do was setting the agenda. The other dominant voice in the World Health Organization, no surprise, is the United States. And between the U.S. and about 35%, I think, of the donations, every country has to give in a certain amount based on uh, their GDP. But then, really, it's not even enough for the World Health Organization to exist. So it's really funded by private foundations, and the U.S., and they set the agenda for world health, and they do it in a way that robs countries from developing health infrastructure and trained people and giving out specific vaccines in the countries that meet their conditions. 
If you don't, take Venezuela. They'll cut you off. That's what happens with sanctions. And it's intended to be that way. It actually acts as uh, another form of a straitjacket on the people of the world. It's a dire threat. Leader of any country really has to ask, well, wait a minute, if I counter the U.S. on this measure here or that measure there, will my own people be able to get vaccines, be able to get food, be able to buy anything on the world market? So now we see sanctions on 39 countries, a third of the world population. It's the U.S. strangling countries, but also strangling them by doling out medicines, but not providing access to medicines. That's how capitalism works and doesn't work. Make sure that it doesn't work. And public health is considered a danger. So anyway, the World Health Organization, which has so much potential for a real exchange among scientists and medical people who who give their life, they really want to help. And yet they're funneled into a narrower and narrower condition. Or when you have a country such as Cuba, who really developed a lot of research in developing a vaccine, a very worthwhile one, and yet they can't get the syringes to vaccinate their own population, let alone all the countries. Cuba provides more doctors to Africa, to the developing world, than the World Health Organization and all the G7 countries put together. Cuba provides more doctors and wanted to help in the distribution of vaccines. And yet through the sanctions, they're denied something as simple as the syringes. So this is how really the straitjacket, the control of the market functions very intentionally. It's not an accident. They will call China authoritarian, but really where is their authoritarian and censorship and control that robs people of the ability to develop their own future? You know, comrades, I think that in the many, we've done more than 50 of these live streams since the pandemic began. And I think just looking at the comments, I've never seen so many comments that say, wow, that's information I didn't know before. Like, I, I, I didn't know that. I learned that. And from both of your remarks, I, I think that says a lot about the importance of discussing what we're discussing today. I also just saw in the comments from Eugenio, U.S. capitalist governments is collapsing on several fronts. Uh, while the U.S. population has increased drug use and prison labor and its internal debt, the rest of the world, particularly the PRC, has been working. It's the fable of the tortoise and the hare. He says, best regards from Venezuela. We will resist. We will win together. Viviremos and venceremos. I have the, the flag of Puerto Rico behind me, comrades. And I was thinking, Sarah, as you were talking about what good the U.S. does, in it, it doesn't help anyone to make someone dependent and shackle the development of a country. The U.S. just left Afghanistan after 20 years of brutal military occupation. No one can say that Afghanistan is better off now because of the U.S. military occupation. And and that's really the last question that I want to ask both of you today, because one thing that we were talking about right before the broadcast began, Sarah, is how the U.S. is already using its failure and its withdrawal from Afghanistan as a as a new means to attack China. Could you talk about that a little bit? I'll raise a, a fact that I just learned today from Su Hin when we were talking earlier, you know, that Afghanistan, less than 1% of the population was vaccinated. It's 0.06, right? That's right, fully vaccinated. Uh, so the, here you had, you know, thousands, tens of thousands of U.S. troops and supposedly they're there on some humanitarian mission. We all know that's a lie. But you would think at a minimum providing vaccines would not be a big deal. Now, the U.S. has finally been chased out of Afghanistan because they brought nothing but war and ruin. And it wasn't very important for U.S. strategists to have bases, thousands, tens of thousands of soldiers, air flights right on China's border. Part of this is their whole strategy for world domination. And they've been pushed out. What was the very first thing they did? Just, just read it in today's 
times. Afghanistan held their money, of course, in the United States, and it was immediately frozen. $7 billion was immediately frozen by the U.S. It's no longer Afghanistan's money. And there was a discussion about how all these years there's been sanctions on Afghanistan. You wouldn't know it because so many billions of dollars was just flowing in, plane loads of money that would disappear into the pockets of all different and contractors. And so, so money was still flooding in. That's about to end. And the U.S. is talking about how to sharpen every one of those sanctions. So getting the simplest battery, getting the simplest piece of equipment on the international market becomes impossible. And right away, also today, the International Monetary Fund said they were shutting off all credit to Afghanistan. So you see how these sanctions work to immediately, immediately strangle any country, including the theft. They did the same thing, of course, to to Venezuela, simply stole Venezuela's gold and froze it. And you had the most very advanced healthcare system in Venezuela. What, what did they do? Suddenly, Venezuela can't get the very medicines. They had set up health clinics, it seemed like, on every, almost on every corner in na- different neighborhoods where you could get blood pressure checked, you could get basic medicines, you could, you know, no, shut that off. So even simple things, gauze pads are hard to get now. In, in Venezuela. That's sanctions. So that's an intentional policy. And it is how to do that more and more. And the Biden administration is absolutely tied now to this, how to intensify the sanctions, Cuba too, on every country, how to tighten the screws at the same time that spending billions more dollars for war preparation is really going forward, war preparation against China. So we have to up our game because certainly at this point, the U.S. direction is being intensified. I think we need to really think how how we intensify our efforts here and do more to both say no on the war drive toward China, but also to demand U.S. out of all these countries and totally out of Afghanistan. I mean, because uh, what are their plans now in terms of drone attacks or mercenaries that they're still going to fund? Or, you know, a lot of those things. Sorry, that was longer than. No, that was, it's important. I mean, in, in many ways, what has just happened in Afghanistan this week is one of the most historic developments in recent history. And Suhin, it's one of the reasons it's been so great to, to talk with you in, in preparation for the event today, and I hope that we can have you on again soon for, for further subjects, is that in the U.S., we don't have access to Chinese media. The irony of the U.S. always decrying the, you know, the quote-unquote authoritarian media in, in China is that we don't have that kind of access. So it was very interesting to get your perspective and the perspective of, of different Chinese people on the, with the U.S. withdrawal of Afghanistan. Could you talk about that a little bit? One thing is, though, Chinese TikTok and TikTok in U.S., the so-called TikTok Global, are different. It's two different systems. So I need to have two accounts, so one for TikTok Global and TikTok China, because the contents are completely different. Personally, I like the Chinese TikTok far more than TikTok Global because the videos on Chinese TikTok are much more superior produced than uh, Western TikTok. For last two days, I've been uh, following the media and then our discussion group on uh, WeChat and, and uh, online and all different kinds of places. Majority of Chinese support the Taliban kick the U.S. out. To kick the U.S. out from Afghanistan. Majority of Chinese thinking about this is Afghanistan business. There's nothing to do with the U.S. They let Afghanistan decide what will be the future. Either they want to choose Taliban or different type of system, and then let them decide to do it. So far, seems like Taliban is getting the support. So let them do it, and then they decide what will be happen next. Many people didn't know that China and Afghanistan have borderline, very small borderline, and. Uh, 
is a most western part of China, the Xinjiang region. So there's a video I've been showing with that's a video comparison between the, the life in Xinjiang and the life just only less than 100 kilometers away, 100 miles away from the destruction of Afghanistan. So the video, you can see the difference. So there's a word you're saying that the life in what the U.S. is now calling the genocidal Xinjiang, the video that means uh, Chinese happy life and then prosperous and highly economic and uh, developed Xinjiang region, which is now labeled as a genocidal region by U.S. and Western country. Then you see that the other side is Afghanistan, just across the border, which is supposed to be the uh, freedom and democracy, and then uh, U.S. and uh, support Afghanistan, which is where complete destructions and, um, and all these kind of killings happening every day. That's how, what is the reality that most Chinese thinking about when they're saying that Americans really care about the, the so-called human rights in, in Xinjiang? Why they don't care about the human rights in Afghanistan? Why they don't spend $2 trillion in Afghanistan and cannot even get something new done? Why cannot building a prosperous country and all this money end up eating up uh, corruptions and then uh, all this gone nowhere, nowhere, and then weapons? And not even only less than 0.6% of people fully vaccinated, only 2% of Afghanis ever took the shot. And also, one more thing, large portion of Afghanis vaccines are not from U.S. I almost forgot to tell. Many are coming from China. It's not from U.S., not from Western country. So it's not even that there's uh, no vaccination in, uh, in Afghanistan. It's not even a, truly a U.S. credit. It's from, uh, from China and other countries. So everyone knows that if U.S. Is, have been done this in Afghanistan, they have been what they've been doing in Iraq. That's what exactly they want to do in Xinjiang, the so-called Xinjiang campaign, just like the origin tracing campaign. It's a hybrid war. It's an anti-China political and military campaign. Thank you, comrade. And, you know, now I understand why my video on TikTok about imperialism got taken down. Now, now I understand because <laughs> I'm using Western TikTok. <laughs> I just want to shout out some folks in the chat. One person asked where they can find this conversation later. This is available on YouTube right now. This is also going to be available later as a podcast. Um, The video you can find on Workers World's Facebook, and we'll also be publishing a transcript on uh, workers.org. There are so many great questions that I wonder, Sarah and Suhan, if if you want to stay on for just a few more minutes that we can sort of use these as our, our closing remarks, because I think... One thing that is really important that we understand is that when the U.S. wages a war on the people of Afghanistan, for instance, there was so much Islamophobic, anti-Muslim hatred that was visited on Muslims here, on Afghans here, on Arabs here, including on Sikhs, the Sikh population here. And that's something that we still continue to see today. But that explosion of racist violence really started when the U.S. started its war drive on Afghanistan. And we are seeing the same thing in the U.S. now. So we had a question um, in the chat. Could any comrades comment on the link between the racist lab leak theory and the rising occurrence of anti-Asian American Pacific Islander violence in the past year and a half? The latest report indicate at least 7,000 cases since last year. That is just only reported case. Many are not reported because fear or retaliation, or maybe don't know how to report to the police. Lovely becomes some kind of like a, a very strange and scientific discussion. But put this way, racism stereotype always are coming together. There's always a putting one certain ethnic groups or race, uh, some kind of laboring, something they would do all the time. That's a bad they would do to the society, especially to the white people. So there's always a stereotype about uh, black people is a rapist. That's always has been a really racist notion. And then uh, Latinos making lots of babies and then job stealers and all that kind of racism are commonly in the U.S. and the Western world. Asian is always a so-called quiet Asian. It's completely bogus. And then also the notion is there's many 
Chinese uh, a tax buy. That's a, always has been a, set up the way that each ethnic groups have their specific target, saying that you are bad to do certain things. So the Russian hackers, Chinese tax spies, and then black rapists and Latino drug smugglers, and now the China is a CCP virus, so called. Those kind of things are specific label to make it simple to teach people how to hate. Because we want to be something simple, make it so people will think about this way. And so that's a lovely, they want to be continued. So far, the latest opinion post said 70% of people had believed that China was the one who was responsible for the left leg and the side. That is outrageous. And then just like, no, it's no different than accusing African-American is a drug smuggler, rapist, or automatically assume that a bank robber, those kind of like a nonsense. And then you are making all this effort, congressional investigations or National Science Foundation or university to put a topic of research why black people are rapists. That's kind of crazy, crazy idea. You put this way. Lab leaks is completely bogus. If you put the lab leak, the words out and put this as a race, think things as a racism, then you'll be easy to understand what is the racism about on this topic and labeling certain group or certain country as a whole. That is such a good point, comrade. And the, the two different types, like, yes, there's the, the horrible, ignorant, racist remarks that are made against people. And then there's the academic faux, formal kind of race science, eugenics, this kind of nonsense. And while Donald Trump was saying hideous, racist things, blaming China for the spread of the the COVID virus, this lab leak theory is trying to be that more distinguished, uh, we're not racist, we're just looking, asking questions kind of form of racism. Yeah, I can to give an example of someone else whose story on lab leaks was picked up by all the media as really the scientific explanation. And it was written by Alexander Wade, who wrote a whole book that's on, on racist genetics in an outrageous way, which at the time, again, the corporate media thought it was a great contribution. And it was geneticists that said, oh, this is not at all. This is a total fraud. But he's not a scientist in any form. He's like a popular writer. And he had an article as an opinion piece, not a vetted scientific piece, put in the Journal of Atomic Scientists. That's not a journal that has to do with virology or viruses or medicine or health. But immediately, all the media picked it up, saying major scientific journal has found and they were quoting someone who really is a known racist, whose previous books should be denounced. And this is who suddenly becomes a voice. How is that possible? At the same time, thousands of Twitter accounts, tens of thousands, Facebook accounts that connect in any way or say anything favorable on China get shut down. And tens of thousands of Chinese students who are studying here, their visas are closed. And the scientific exchanges that were going on are now shut off, along with all sorts of corporate trade. You know, all of this gets shut down. Now, we should look back to Afghanistan and the war in Iraq, war Libya, Syria, against the Palestinians. It was all done by a really a, a campaign against a religion, Islam. And there was even what was called Islamophobia. It justified rounding up secret detention sites, Guantanamo, thousands, thousands of people who anonymously disappeared. Now, this was a really a war on Islam and a demonization of Islam and only a promoting of the most reactionary forms of Islam, saying this is genuine Islam, and it was very well-funded from Saudi Arabia. But all of the countries that had made real accomplishments, highest standard of living in the Arab world, in Iraq and Syria, lie in ruin. Libya, with the highest standard of living in Africa, in absolute ruin, 
from U.S. bombing. So here's one war against a Muslim people after another. And then you look at the media stories today. Who's being blamed for a war on Islam? China. With this whole no substantiation story of Xinjiang, where instead the standard of living and healthcare and education has raised incredibly. And the U.S. is very angry because just a few years ago, they were actually recruiting mercenaries from Xinjiang right into Afghanistan and into Syria. So it's important to really think about where is there, there was a real war on Islam by U.S. imperialism. But now they've flipped the script and somehow are blaming China with being against Islam is not true. And at the same time, they're using it as a way of creating anti-China sentiment and to make all Chinese people seem suspicious and sinister and, and so on. Really, there are all sorts of Chinese scientists in the U.S. today that are under such scrutiny, they can't continue, they can't get research grants, even where it has nothing to do with politics by their very name. And this happened 20 years ago, 10 years ago, to so many Muslims that literally were barred from universities, stopped at airports by their name. And we've seen that same racism, as they call driving while black. We've seen it in every cop in their roundups and shootings and murders of African-American people. So we, we see it in the, in the treatment of migrants, even migrant children at the borders in the U.S. This country uses, and I'm, I'm glad that really Suhin broke it down, different forms, different forms of stereotypes, but they become deeply, deeply embedded in subconscious evaluations, and, and it just roars forward in very ugly ways among people that sometimes don't even realize just how offensive and reactionary they're being because they've absorbed it from the culture around them. And they suddenly have ideas that they did not have before it was relentlessly pushed, whether by Fox News or CNN. So important to remember that the the kind of hatred of special special uh, groups that face special oppressions, whether it's on the basis of gender or the basis of race, gender, yes, you know, these are not endemic or indigenous to the, the working class. They have to spend a great deal of resources to confuse people, to get them confused about who their real enemies are. And when you look at the propaganda that the U.S. levels against China about anti-Muslim treatment, it's projection. It is projection of the U.S. crimes onto China. When you look at the accusations of forced labor with millions of prisoners in the U.S., how dare the U.S. accuse another country of forced labor, of lab leak? <laughs> After the horrible pandemic response that we've discussed today, it is projection. It is projecting the U.S. failures onto, onto China. I, I want to thank Sarah Flounders and uh, Lee Siohan, both of you, for for being with us. The fact that we've gone over time is proof that we need to to do this again soon. I want to thank all of you also thank for, you. for... Thank uh, you. Thank you. Thank you so much for being with us. If you like what you heard tonight, you can join Workers World. Please go to workers.org slash join, and one of our organizers will be in touch. Make sure to sign up for our newspaper. And thank you. Thank you all so much for being with us tonight. As we always say, as we conclude, build a Workers World.